Here at HorrorOasis.com, we are advocates of the horror genre and strive to amplify underrepresented voices in the horror community. This space is for indie artists to promote their work. Please enjoy your stay, and hopefully it's not your last. Spacefaring researchers disturb an ancient horror. An enchanted object curses a grieving widow. A haunted reel torments a film student. A murder trial hinges on a chilling testimony. Howls from Hell. A new horror anthology from Howl Society Press. Stephen Graham Jones calls it quality horror by true believers who can write. With a forward by Grady Hendrix, Howls from Hell unveils the horror writers of tomorrow with spine-tingling stories from P.L. McMillan, Shane Hawk, J.W. Donnelly, Lindsay Ragsdale, Amanda Nevada DeMille, and others. Available now in paperback, ebook, and audiobook from Amazon and most other major booksellers. Howls from Hell. Welcome to Dead Headspace, part of Silver Shamrock's Horrorcast, a podcast network that includes Killing Time with Silver Shamrock and Unburying the Dead, where we exhume classic horror paperbacks for the new generation. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my co-host, Bren LaFaro. Say hi, Brennan. Hello, everybody. And today we're talking with the author of many books, but the latest being Malignant Summer, Tim Myers. Say hi, Tim. Howdy. If you get a chance, you should listen to at least the ending of the special episode, Tim, because I butchered that title. And he thought and, it was French, I think. And Brennan and uh, Cassie and Shane Hawk and Erica Robin were all they were they jumped on me right away, man. <laughs> I'll have to listen to that. That's awesome. So let's let's dive into it. What got you into horror? Oh, man. I My earliest memory of horror was uh, I grew up in the early 90s, so Goosebumps were all the rage. Uh, so it was pretty much Goosebumps that kind of lit that spark inside me. And uh, since then, I mean, I've just always sought out um, just horror movies. Uh, I watched Jaws really early on. Uh, and that uh, growing up on the Jersey shore, that was like the most terrifying thing you could possibly do at like eight years old is watch Jaws. <laughs> uh, so that movie also was, uh, pretty, pretty big influence. So Jaws was, so the book takes place in the, on the track. <laughs> you gotta, got a Jaws cup. I sure do. Look at that. I didn't even plan that. I, I forgot I even was using this cup. That's weird. <laughs> Um, so the book was based in, uh, the Jersey shore. The film was in, uh, Martha's vineyard. Mm -hmm. And 
I mean, growing dude, growing up in like the Cape was pretty much my second home. Like, I'm I'm pretty sure Brendan can back me up. Like, if you're from the southeast in Massachusetts, like you you always go to the Cape for the summer. And <laughs> my wife would always like tease me about being afraid of sharks and like great whites, and it's because of Jaws. Like, oh, I saw cool. that. Well, Paul Tremblay said something that scene where uh, Jaws tears the dude apart. You know, and that broke his brain. And I think that's a great comment. Um, but basically, I, I tell my wife, I'm like, well, I mean, look at Shark Week. A lot of those are based in the Cape. Chatham, yeah. that's where we go. Right. So I, I totally hear you. That that definitely scarred me. What about you, Brennan? Oh, you know what? It was it, it's you know, if you're a New Englander, you've been to Martha's Vineyard and you've seen, you know, all the. Uh, staple places where they, you know, filmed parts of Jaws. Not only that, but I mean, you'd you'd get used to it at least once a summer. They would close the beaches, you know, when when there were great whites spotted, you know, offshore. And I remember um, every once in a while too, uh, you'd get one that would kind of swim into Woods Hole, which is uh, where uh, James Cameron kind of launched that um, expedition to kind of explore the Titanic. But they would come right. Uh, into like the, uh, I don't know if bay is the right word, but like the, you know, right in town, like a 17 foot great white in there. Um, so, I mean, it was, it's, it's more than just kind of, uh, an idea. Like you, you would actually, you know, hear and see all about this. So yeah, that's, it's, it's terrifying. I mean, you can't see underwater and then it's just this big, massive eating machine that has two rows of very sharp teeth. Terrifying. Um, Brendan, you want to take us away with the next question or you want me to go? Yeah, sure. So, you know, there, there's your uh, start into horror. At, at what point do you decide, I don't want to just watch this and maybe read this. I, I want to do this. Uh, so, again, for me, it was pretty early on. I remember in, in fourth grade, we had to write a novel, which was like 10 pages. And we also had to illustrate each page. And uh, I remember... <laughs> remember writing about uh, a group of my friends that crash land on an island that was taken over by dinosaurs and all the dinosaurs like ate all my friends and all of my pictures were super gory and graphic and my teacher who was very encouraging by the way uh she did call my parents in for for a little conference but it was a an encouraging conference so i didn't get in trouble for for drawing like my friends that were like half eaten severed at the uh the hip um but yeah, I mean, after that, I've always enjoyed storytelling, uh, whether it was that, whether it was like doodling my own comics, um, writing short stories, trying to write novels. Later on, probably in high school, I got into writing screenplays and I did that for a couple of years because uh, I always wanted to make my own movies, which you know never really became anything. And then um, like in my early 20s, I, I got back into writing short fiction and trying to write novels. And that kind of just stayed with me. Yeah. I mean, can you even consider yourself a horror writer if the teacher didn't call your parents at some point in, yeah. in primary school? <laughs> it's like <laughs> rite of passage. Yeah, you have to. That has to happen. You know, it's weird is like my answer would be if it goes to the writing thing. I wrote, I remember very vividly in the second grade, I'd write about animals and uh, like I would see a nonfiction book and doodle them and suck at doodling 
I don't know, man. I guess I was, uh, I'm a weirdo as far as a horror writer goes because it got weird later on after that with like the horror and gore. Yeah, man, that's how it happens. Got to start somewhere. And then you well, just... I mean, think about it. You see what National Geographic's all the lines ripping apart like a gazelle or something. Yeah. Fe- fe- uh, creature feature, man. Yeah, exactly. So let's uh, jump into Chad Lutzky's question. Oh, we got a few. We got a few uh, listener questions. Since you only drink beer that tastes nothing like beer, this is his <laughs> words, not mine. I was wondering how many pixie sticks you put in your coffee. Also, do you think you'll ever write a book longer than *Malignant Summer*? Yes, I deliberately spelled "summer." Oh, I didn't say it right because it's so effing long. It's uh, S-O-M-M-E-R. And that's from Chad. Hugs and kisses. I added that last part. <laughs> well, thanks, Chad. Thank you for asking me all those questions. Uh, for the coffee question, I don't put anything in my coffee. I drink it straight. Uh, I used to, back in the day, load it up with cream and sugar, but not healthy. So I, uh, I just Is it a drink. Wawa coffee? Wawa is Wawa makes like the best coffee. Yeah. Like they really do. Like, I don't like Dunkin' Donuts, man. I'm annoying with I boy, don't either. It, I'm not so, like it. Yeah. It is it is weird. <laughs> I mean, I'll drink it in a pinch, like if I have to, or yeah. you know, if I'm in an area where there's no Wawa or like Starbucks. I mean, Starbucks is okay. But Wawa is just like the best. Yeah, then uh, you got a sorry to interrupt again. Then you got a silver shamrock coffee. There you go. <laughs> All right, I'll I shut the hell off. Go ahead. I haven't had any silver shamrock coffee yet. I should probably get on that. It's really good. <laughs> um, and what was his other question? Oh, will I write uh, another book longer than Malignant Summer? I mean, I don't. Whenever I write, I don't set out to make to write like a super long novel. I kind of just let whatever I'm writing just go. I guess that's the best way to put it. Like I, I don't think that this is going to be a, a novel or this is going to be this many words i, I just kind of write and whatever happens happens like malina and summer was just supposed to be like a ninety thousand word novel and then i got like forty thousand words into it and i was like hmm this is just the beginning of like a really big story uh and so i just kept writing i remember actually <laughs> texting ken because ken in kind of we kind of came, not came up with the story, but I pitched him the idea before I wrote it and he was very into it. So when I started writing it and I realized it was going to be huge, I texted him and I was like, this is going to be like a 200,000 word novel. Do you have a problem with that? And he was like, no, just whatever, man. Just as long as it, as long as it's not like overly bloated and, and super descriptive and the story flows. Um, so I guess I I did that because because he accepted it. But yeah, I don't I don't usually plan word counts out before I just go. So I, I can't really answer that completely, but maybe probably. I mean, I, I would love to write like a giant fantasy novel that's like 300, 400,000 words. I think that would be really awesome. Oh, man. Yeah, that'd be fun. It would take uh, me- kind of to write it. But- go ahead, Tim. Oh, I was just going to say it would take me probably like three years to write it. <laughs> Well, dude, that's so long. Don't you have a full time job too? But if yeah. you got a family, so exactly. So whatever. That yeah, is what it is. But <laughs> you know, it, it, in you know, related to that whole idea of word length, didn't you just finish writing another one that's coming in around one hundred and thirty? 
Uh, yeah, it's uh, it was like 136 the first draft. Uh, the second draft I cut down to like 128, and then um, then I I just recently was like, you know what, I could take this whole storyline that's in it out, and it would still be the same novel, um, just shorter. <laughs> so I did that, and now it's like just under 120. Um, and I did that because I'm submitting it to a few presses where like 120 is like the uh, like the that's like the max that a lot of presses have as like their their word count range. Um, so I had to kind of cut it to under 120, and uh, it still works though. So maybe I'll keep that extra eight though for like a limited edition or something. Hmm. So I mean, you kind of answered this before, but you know when you got to that 40,000 word mark in Malignant Summer and realized this is going to be a big boy. Uh, is there any, you know, you've written a lot of novels. Is there anything different about that you have to go about, you know, in the process of writing something that's going to be this monstrous? Uh, I mean, for, for that particular novel, I just wrote, uh, I just, I went, I didn't plot it out really that much at all. I mean, I had a general idea, but, uh, for me, like I'm weird. I, uh, I, every novel I've written has come about like a different way. Like there's some novels that I've written where I, I have everything, you know, mapped out, planned out, very plotted in detail. Uh, and then there's some things I just, I just go. And, uh, I, I have no idea where the story's going. And Malignant Summer was the latter. I definitely hadn't, you know, no idea everything that was going to happen, which I thought would be an issue because I've tried to write bigger novels in the past and without an outline and I've always run into issues and problems and plot holes that I couldn't get out of and I just hit walls so I, I thought it was actually going to be an issue but I don't know something something magical happened and I was able to finish it without uh without causing too much damage so before we and now jump, you can write tomes yeah before we jump any further in this why don't we just uh start from the beginning with can you describe what the book's about? And then let's just jump into our questions about this and move on to something else whenever that's done. Yeah. So um, it's a coming of age novel that's set in 1998 on the Jersey Shore. Uh, it's about a group of kids who are going into high school, and uh, the novel takes place over the course of their their summer before they start high school. And uh, there's basically a, a chemical plant that is dumping uh, toxic chemicals into the water supply, into the town's water supply, and people are getting sick, and there may or may not be a supernatural presence at work. So they have to kind of figure out how to stop the chemical plant, the supernatural force, and save their town and the people they love. Now, um, I think you know, Tim, but working... At a wastewater treatment plant, I know it's different from a chemical plant, but the descriptions of different machinery and whatnot, I mean, they're both industrial, you know, industry or businesses. And mm -hmm. I just, I could, I just pictured where I worked, uh, where you describe it pretty much, you know, the act three, if we're going to have it in a three act, it's not, but if it were three acts, that would be where act three is. And I, I just thought that was really neat. And, um, I'm curious, is this, why'd you pick a chemical plant? Like, is there any background to that? Yeah. Uh, so actually, um, the background for the story with the chemical plant and the, the toxic 
waste dumping is actually kind of based on a on a true story. Um, my hometown, Tom's River, New Jersey, in the '90s, uh, a lot of kids did get sick because the local chemical plant was actually dumping toxins into the ground and it was kind of a crazy time. And uh, there's actually a really good book called Tom's River, which is basically it chronicles everything from the seventies when that whole thing was happening up into the nineties and through the nineties. Uh, and it's very science based. So I, um, I read that book in for like research um, also lived in Tom's River when it was going on, so that was also kind of research. <laughs> um, and then I also I worked at a nuclear power plant for a little bit. Um, so like that, I even know that's also different from you know a waste plant and a, and a chemical plant. Like you said, they they have like similar um, you know machinery and, and yeah. components to it. So I kind of used my experience from from that as well. So was that up north? No, that was actually in the town that I live in right now. They oh, okay. uh, they um, they just actually closed down. Um, it was like the oldest operating nuclear power plant in the country, and they just finally closed it after like fifty years, fifty plus years. So, do, do living up in uh, Massachusetts, it's like a bunch of towns are named after Native American, you know. Big Native American chiefs or tribes, and coming down to New Jersey, there's a lot of maybe they are Native American as well. I don't know, but there's a lot of weird names like Brick, uh, Tom's River, Egg yeah. Harbor. Then you got three towns in a row, but there's a lot of townships. Egg Harbor Township, uh, was it Egg Harbor City and Little Egg Harbor? Yeah, Little Egg Harbor is a town, and uh, Egg Harbor, I believe, is a township down kind of by like Atlantic City. Uh, area um and little egg harbor is actually like 10 15 minutes from my house so it's pretty close lake harbor. oh okay well wow, you're a lot closer to me than i thought that's funny um i don't know where i'm going with this so brennan why don't you jump in <laughs> <laughs> uh let's talk uh time period so i mean what one thing i love that i'm seeing in a lot of or, or more and more let's say coming of age horror now is that kind of uh, 1990s time period. You know, I, I love reading about the 80s, but, you know, I, I was five when the 80s ended. I don't remember them super well. So I'm really digging that, you know, we're starting to see authors set coming of age stories in 1998, for example. Um, so what was your process in kind of going back? I mean, what was it all just like, hey, I remember this, that I, and you know, I'm basing this off. I'm I'm thinking of like Brian Cool, uh, Brian Keen's Ghoul, where he says this is 1984, but this is me remembering 1984 in 2004. So don't tell me you know this came out in 1983 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I didn't put that uh, warning in the beginning of the book though. That's a really good idea because like going through it, um, there are some things where like a movie is mentioned coming out that doesn't in real life came out maybe like a couple months like after. So like there was like that, you know, um, just inaccuracies. Uh, but you know, that's, I just, I wanted to use those, those references for specific reasons. So I just kind of made it work, but yeah, I mean, to go back there, I mean, I, uh, I'm, I, I still feel like I'm a kid. So like I have, (laughs) (laughs) I have a lot of like, I have my N64 right over there with, with all my games that I've had since I was, you know, 
12, 10, 11 years old. It's the best console ever. Oh, it really is, dude. I love it. I I was just talking to somebody on Twitter. I'm like, I literally fire it up like every three to four weeks just to play like Diddy Kong Racing or uh, Super Smash Brothers. Um, ah, Dude, there's so many good games. I actually, during the pandemic, when I wasn't working and literally had nothing going on, I ran through Ocarina of Time again. And like, that is the perfect game. Like, that game is, it's still mind blowing, like, how, how perfect it is. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, uh, I just have like all stuff from my childhood just all around me to kind of put me back in that, that, that mode and also music. Like I'm, I'm pretty big into music and I listen to music while I write and while I generally listen to stuff that doesn't have lyrics in it because it becomes too distracting as I I write, uh, for this, I, I did like, I was listening to like a lot of Atlantis Morissette and like, um, like just some of that like popular like third eye blind some of that like grungy alternative like rock that was popular in like the mid 90s um so yeah like music too definitely to to help get you in that that mode yeah i you know i feel like if with with the audience that you're generally going to go for uh you're not going to you're hopefully not going to have a ton of those people who are like, you know, that movie didn't come out until September. Like, yeah. What the hell are you doing? It's more just, you know, it, the, you know, it, you got a great story with a lot of creepy ass moments, but it's a lot of fun looking for those little Easter eggs and saying, I remember this. I, I mean, I, I loved it when you mentioned Pogs, man. Oh, uh, Pogs. Yeah. Remember Pogs? Dude? Those yeah, were of course crazy. I remember Pogs. I was in uh, grammar school when those were big. Oh God! It was like it was outrageous. I remember like having those like sleeves, those like plastic sleeves where you just jam them all in. I had like friggin' thirty of those things, and they're all stuffed. And like, <laughs> like how stupid were those things? Like looking back <laughs> on it, like what were they? Like they were nothing. Like it, it was just like a cheap piece of cardboard that had like weird stuff printed on them. Pogs, uh, Game Boy, Pokemon, and Fireball yo-yos were, I specifically remember all those were like the big thing when I was in grammar school, going into middle school. Yeah, I, I missed the uh, the Pokemon wave. My brother, who's like a few years younger than me, he got really into the Pokemon craze, but it just missed me by, you know, a couple of years, but... Yeah, I mean, Game Boy was huge. I remember we had, <laughs> I remember we had uh, the Game Boy when the Game Boy Color came out. Like that was like all the rage. And yeah. uh, my mom, bless her heart, wanted to get us the the Game Boy Colors, but like the only uh, color they had at the time was like hot pink. Mm. And uh, she was like, I'm just going to get you guys hot pink for, for Christmas or whatever. It was like, I think the only gift that we got that year. But oh, who cares? It was it was it was awesome. Yeah, color, and I played the show that hot pink Game Boy Color. <laughs> you guys, we are the generation who you know had to blow in cartridges if you wanted to play in a video game. Oh man, that was the worst. By the way, I have a uh, N64 next to my NES in the next room, and I just like kind of like looking at them sometimes. Um, my when my son turns three, I told my wife, I'm like. He's going to start playing video games, and that's when I got my first NES, Super Mario yeah. Brothers, on a 12-inch monitor. Oh, <laughs> this, man. This big old fat-back monitor, and uh, I don't know, man. It's just the kids, especially nowadays, like, you could... We talked about this in a episode of Vic LeMay Miss. You, 
I'm not saying my kid or your guys' kid could be it, but he could turn into an e-athlete and make a shitload of money. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's like a it's a career now for a lot of those people streaming <laughs> and stuff. Like, oh, man, if we had that when when we grew up, I would be I'd be killing it. Well, we were the last generation um, to. There was the Internet, but we were kids when the Internet was at its weird teenage puberty stage yeah. where it had DSL and. uh and uh, it would it turned into very slow. Like we we had the what is it the um, the not routers. They had something for like uh, internet connection for the PS2 and other consoles, and those weren't very good. But now like your fucking phone has more everything better than like the consoles we grew yeah. up on and the computers. It's wild. I remember uh, I remember when Halo the first Halo came out for Xbox. Oh, that was huge huge and um my friends there was like a website that you could go to and you could hook your xbox up to the computer and like run it through the website so you could actually like play other people on it yeah it was like it was like mind-blowing at the time and now it's like you could just now you don't need any cables you just everything's wireless and you can just go on and, and play people like that but like back in the day it was like you had to like rig it all up and and like uh it was just crazy the weirdest thing for me was like AOL chat rooms. Like anyone can oh, just yeah. jump in one. There's no pictures of you, and you could be talking to just like a fucking pedophile, and you're in the seventh grade. Super yeah. weird. It, it is weird thinking about, it, but at the time, like we didn't think anything. Like we would just hang out in those chat rooms and talk about like wrestling or you know WWF or whatever you were into at the time. Um, yeah, Counter man. Strike. It, Counter-Strike was huge. <laughs> yeah. I used to love Counter-Strike. Yeah. Tim, I'll, um, I don't know where we go from here, but Brennan, do you want to take us to a... I don't know why I was asking Tim like he was going to leave the conversation. He's the guest. <laughs> Brennan, why don't you take us away, bud? I'm getting... Uh, I, I don't know where we're going to go from here, so why don't you, why don't you lead the pack, sir? All right, so I, we can always backtrack this if you'd consider it spoilery. Uh, but, I, you know, I feel like with the uh, explanation you gave with Tom's River, it's not really. So, I mean, I, you could almost lump this book into eco-horror. Um, was that a consideration? Um, I guess. I mean, to me, like, eco-horror is, I guess, like, the Earth kind of, like, fighting back um for me it was more of like this chemical plant was doing nefarious things and intent kind of intent well pretty much intentionally doing nefarious things and it's more of like people doing terrible things to other people um that's kind of more where where my mind was um have you guys watched chernobyl on hbo yes like I haven't, but it looks amazing. It is so amazing, and like that was also kind of like a, a, an influence because I had watched that, I think like right before I started writing *Malignant Summer*. Uh, that coupled with the Tom's River book because it's like these people they knew they were they were fucking up. They knew that they were doing the wrong thing, and yet they continued to do the wrong thing, even knowing that they were going to cause stuff just because of their own you know ego essentially. So, like, that was kind of, like, the main driving force before, uh, through Malignant Summer. 
rather than like the environment itself kind of fighting back. That was just kind of like, like what the, like the cause and, and, you know, effect of their poor decisions. <laughs> yeah. Semi-related, but that, that show Chernobyl was an absolute masterclass in tension. Uh, so good. You know, so that some of the aspects I'm thinking like when they, ha- I can't think of the, the terms, but like when they were in the basement with the, um, the Geiger meter, I guess. And with the, with the, cl- Oh my gosh, the tension building in there was just, uh, it's, it's one of the best things I've seen that they've ever put on television. And HBO puts out like some phenomenal stuff, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a true horror story. Like that is a horror. <laughs> that's the six episodes of straight horror right there. Yeah. Um, cause it's so real and, and just like everything that happened. And, and when you find out like that, you know, spoiler alert, if you don't know about the Chernobyl story uh, that happened so long ago. Um, yeah, it's like they they almost intentionally did it because they knew what would happen if they they did it, but they did it anyway. So and it's like kind of infuriating, actually, to to watch. It's like I, I got really pissed off. <laughs> Pat, you want to jump in? I didn't watch it, so I don't have anything interesting to <laughs> Oh, that's okay. Watch you can steer us in a new it. direction. <laughs> sure. Um, you know, I'm actually... Beer questions? We could talk about beer. Well, I was going to actually jump to Mike uh, Clark. Mike Clarkie's question. <laughs> um, oh, shit. I had it. Where is it? Hold up. Hold up. Wait a minute. Here we go. Mike Clark asks, author of The Patience of, the, uh, Patience of a Dead Man, Trilogy, very good series. Um, name his top two NEIPAs, New England Indian Pale Ale. Mine are, so he just jumps into like, it's not even a question mark, Mike. So he just jumps into mine are one, the 87 by Night Shift, and two, Cloud Candy by Mighty Squirrel. Are those beers or drugs? <laughs> <laughs> those are beers. The the thing is with like craft beer is that they're kind of local to your to your area. Like, I mean, I don't think I could get what he just said by me. Um, So I I, I don't even know if like my favorite IPAs you could find anywhere else but like the Jersey Shore. So I'll do like one that you can get local and then I'll do one that you can buy like pretty much everywhere. Um, So the local one. There's a there's a place in Lakewood called Icarus Brewing, um, and they make this delicious IPA called Spelt Check. Um, S P E E L T. Yes, Check. I think they spell Check wrong. I, I think it might be C H E K. I think just because it's like Spelt Check, and it's I don't know. It's funny. I think. Uh, <laughs> But uh, yeah, that one is is really good. And then for one that you could probably get everywhere, uh, Voodoo Ranger. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They're kind of everywhere. You could get them, I think, across the country. So uh, they make a really good hazy, juicy IPA, which is like the New England style. So for uh, New Jersey beers, Forgotten Boardwalk's probably one of my favorites. Some in Flying Fish. Flying Fish, uh, yeah. But for for Forgotten Boardwalk, they got this funnel cake one, man. And it's like it's for me, it's enough. It's like six point something percent alcohol, but I, I really like it. Kind of tastes like funnel cake, and I'm a fat boy, so 
This one's pretty good too. I uh, I just I it's Long Trail, which I, I think is up by you guys. I think they're yeah, they're in Vermont. It says right on there. Uh, but yeah, this is a also a, a hazy, juicy IPA. It's Green Mountain Haze. Um, and yeah, they make make good stuff. So, have you had Cape May Brewery? Oh, Cape May's great, dude. I yeah. love Cape May. Yeah, they're delicious. I mean, there's too many damn beers. Hey, you know what? Let's just jump into that real quick. Aren't you having a signing soon at a brewery? Uh, yeah, I've got a couple things coming up. So uh, one is, oh, God, I got to check my dates. Uh, I think June 19th, uh, I'll be doing a signing in Pennsylvania, like a half hour outside Philly. Um, I forget the name of the town. Uh, but I'll po- I'll have it posted on my social media soon. We're just like hashing out like the times and uh, whatnot for that. So that's June nineteenth, and then uh, Who would that be with. Um, so far, all I know is uh, Amanda Headley is kind of organizing it. Uh, she has a book that comes out um, June first as well. So. Um, yeah, we're kind of like coordinating a, a signing to do out there by her. Uh, I don't know who else is going to that. I think there's going to be like three or four other authors, but they're uh, yet to be named. But her book is called Till We Become Monsters. It comes out same day as Malignant Summer. And we'll mm-hmm. be out there uh, June 19th. Uh, I think it's an outdoor signing too, an outdoor brewery, which will be cool. So... Uh, if you're in the area, definitely keep an eye out for that. Uh, and then I'll be doing another signing in July on the 24th. It's like that last Saturday or second to last Saturday uh, of July. And that will be at Second Time Books in um, Bayou, I think. Mount Laurel. Yeah, that's like an hour north of me. Oh, you're, really? You're that far south? Uh, we'll talk about it after. Uh, yeah. So yeah, Mount Laurel, which is like probably like a half hour from Philly, but east aways. Um, I'm south of you though. I don't want to. I don't want to <laughs> say. I just want to be because I was kind of short there. I don't want to say what town I'm in because I don't think I yeah, yeah. have said that. But I'll tell yeah, you no, after we're done talking. Oh, sure, for sure. Uh. Yeah, so we'll be at Mount Laurel, and that's going to be on the 24th. It'll be me, Todd Kiesling, um, my buddy Frank Edler, and J.C. Walsh, the four of us. 24th? July 24th. Oh, July 24th. Yeah. Oh, well, that's just missing uh, Armand Rosamalia and Chuck Buddha. Yeah, well, they're out of state that week, so, you know, it happens. (laughs) Okay, uh, Brennan, do you want to so jump? They, no, I, w- I want to follow up that real quick. Are these the first events you've done since like last March or before? Yeah. Um, oh, wow. When uh, when COVID hit, I went on lockdown, man. I uh, I'm like high risk, so um, I just I went on complete lockdown. I haven't I haven't been anywhere really. Yeah. Um, but now that I'm vaccinated and uh, both sidings are outdoors, so uh, I feel comfortable enough to kind of get back out there. And plus, the numbers are going way down by us. So um, actually, today is the first day in New Jersey you can actually walk into a store without a mask on if you're vaccinated. So 
Oh, I didn't know that. How would are they going to look for your card? Like that's the problem. I don't. Yeah. I don't think so, man. No, I mean, system. no. There's yeah. There's no way. Our system great. We're but uh, <laughs> I did go to I did go to the uh, to the um, I did go to the the liquor store today, and uh, I was actually surprised. There was like probably like seventy thirty people were actually wearing masks. So um, that's good. I mean. Even though I'm I'm vaccinated, I'm still I'm still in mask mode. I'm still yeah. like I'm still not ready to give it up. I still like looking like a Mortal Kombat character when I go out in public. <laughs> no man, yeah, I'm, I, I wear a mask too. Um, like when I'm out and stuff, because like here's the thing, it's not even COVID related for me. It's like I'm vaccinated, so it was like my immediate family. I haven't been besides this one fucked up stomach bug that hit me like a brick house. Which happened around the time I submitted a story about a a bug that fucks up a bunch of people that can <laughs> at the same time. Um, I've been good sick wise. I haven't. Yeah, yeah it's have, weird. I haven't been sick either, like all year. Um, and I'm usually people are gross. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It, it honestly is. And um, you know, we didn't send my, my, my kid would get sick all the time at school. Like every few weeks, it was like he'd just be really sick. And you know, since we pulled him from school, he hasn't been sick once. <laughs> Yeah. Since the whole pandemic, um, I I usually get the flu every year. I didn't get sick last year. I haven't been sick in like almost two years. So it's been a uh, yeah. It's kind of been. I, there might be something to the mask thing. We should all just maybe wear masks. Well, uh, I remember that in certain parts of like Boston and the outskirts, is it Quincy or North Quincy that's heavily populated with Asian people, Brian? I I don't know off the top of my head. I always mix the two up. Um, well, whatever it is, it's it's the Asian population that almost all of them wear masks. Yeah. Like, way before the pandemic happened. And uh, I always thought that was weird, but I think it's because they were used to it. They, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a part of their, their culture over there. So, I mean, yeah, it's... I It's so weird, like, like watching people's, like, object to wearing a mask like it's just it's crazy to me i don't know that's probably a whole other podcast though (laughs) how respectful is it too to kind of make that to to have that as part of your culture like i mean think of two years ago like you you you're sniffling you're sneezing but you get elected to go out you know as the member of your household who picks up cold medicine and you're you know you're sneezing all over shit in the store um and and you never thought to put on a mask before but you know it's it's been normalized now so yeah i mean i I am i for one embrace it (laughs) yeah Yeah. same way so hopefully but people you're right pat i mean people are disgusting and and (laughs) It's not going to change, so. I mean, I've heard fucked up stories of fast food restaurants, for example, where they, someone gets sick because some sick bastard scratched his ass and then made a burger. <laughs> and, dude, I used to work, I don't, I've been years, so I'll talk about it now, but I used to be a, a teamster up in uh, the Boston area, and I was a driver's helper. I was trying to be a driver, but uh, I laid off because that's what they do there. But anyways, um. I delivered throughout Massachusetts and bought in, in the city of Boston and Chinese restaurants and Irish pubs and Portuguese restaurants mainly because that's like the three heavy populations where we went. 
they're, they may look nice where you eat, but they are disgusting behind the scenes. Mm. Um, people are, let's just end that this section when people are fucking gross. Yeah. Yeah. We're gross people. We're which, gross. Bring, which brings us back to malignant summer. So yes. mother without going into much details, she is a scary bitch. Even when you know what she's about, but at the same time, and I don't think this is spoiler territory, you tell us all about her, but there's still a certain aspect that we don't really know everything. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, there's like an origin story that gets like mentioned in it, but um, I I don't know. I Sometimes the, the villains in, in horror novels, if you... Uh, if you give them too much, they kind of take away their their scariness. And so uh, because it's a supernatural horror novel, I felt like I needed to keep some of that, you know, secrets. So, like, you really don't know how, how to feel about it. Should you feel bad for her? Should you, you know, what is she exactly? I, I feel like a little bit of secrecy actually kind of goes a long way in that regard. So... Um, but yeah, I, uh, I, I loved creating that, that whole antagonist and, um, yeah, definitely one of my favorite antagonists that I've, I've created. Yeah. I mean, realistically, if you were down for it, I could see it being kind of like a, not a slasher series, but kind of in the same vein of a series. I could see you getting away with that. Yeah. I don't know if you're going to, I don't know if you're going to do it, but I could, I don't know. I don't have anything, uh, anything planned for that. So, but I, I could see, I could definitely envision something. Just be like, hey Ken, I got a three hundred thousand word <laughs> story. You want it? Sure. Um, I, it's funny. I was talking to him the other day, and he's like, we were talking about maybe doing another novel, and um, I was like, yeah, maybe I'll just do a winter novel because I haven't done like a big winter novel yet. You know, like uh. Um, like Dreamcatcher or like uh, Ghost, Story. <laughs> Ghost Story or what's that Dan Simmons one uh, Winter Haunting I think I, right? I don't know the name uh, uh, but like I haven't done like a like a big winter novel and I was just like you know what maybe I should just call it Malignant Winter <laughs> <laughs> would the uh, protagonist be mother well actually I mean father there's uh, I think it's in Wampanoag culture where ah, man I, I might be butchering this in a Native American culture where the god is like grandmother. Um, mm. I thought that was really cool. It, it could be really scary or really loving. Yeah. I just derailed your thought. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Patrick is trying to skirt around the fact that he's been writing mother fan fiction for the last. <laughs> I approve of that. It's erotica. <laughs> oh, no. Not, 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 not that. With, not kids. <laughs> and we're back here again. All right. Oh, no. <laughs> Derailed. All right. So I let let's latch on to something that's not what you said for the last like twenty seconds. Um, 
So let's talk about the summariness of, of, of the book. So, I mean, it's uh, the Silver Shamrock uh, and yourself set it up to be like the, you know, kind of big indie summer release. You, know, you guys have been hyping it up for a long time. Arcs went out nice and early so everybody could, you know, get reviews in and get the word spread by June. So I'm wondering, what are some of your favorite, you know, summer horror offerings, whether they be movies, books that tie into the season? Damn, that is a good question. Well, we already mentioned Jaws, so I guess that one is uh is out. Um, oh man, I mean, it's not really horror, but like Boy's Life is one of my by McCammon is like one of my favorite novels ever, uh, and that that definitely takes place partly in summer. I think it takes place over several months, but mo- primarily in summer. And, uh, oh man, that's just such a, a perfect novel. I think it's a perfect novel. It's definitely like in my top three. It, it And sometimes when I think about it, it's number one. Um, but you know, it King's it is another one. Cause that also takes place, um, in summer parts of it. Um, oh man, I have to really think, uh, you know, Keen's Ghoul, I think, also is kind of like summary um, in a way, in a different way. Uh, oh, I feel like it has to be. The kids aren't in school. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I love the uh, ending to that book. Oh, it's awesome. Um, a lot of like coming of age novels do take place over over summer break, and that's like one of the things I I almost didn't want to do for a malignant summer. Um, I'd wanted to make it all take place in just one night, and that was the night of the uh, the the um, scavenger hunt that takes place in the beginning of the book. Uh, but then I obviously realized that there was way more to the story than I <laughs> one night. Um, but yeah, I mean, oh man, other summer books. I mean, Peter Benchley was huge growing up for me. Um, loved all of his uh, aquatic horror novels like Beast, uh, White Shark, um, which got like a really terrible TV adaptation <laughs> starring Coach. Uh, but Peter Benchley's novels for sure. And then movies like, uh, I don't know, like Vacation vacation horror stuff like uh the ruins is another good one like i i just recently rewatched that movie and i read the book a few years ago and they're both really good uh also deals with you know some plant horror so that kind of ties in well um but yeah yeah i'd say say that's a pretty good list I think I think you're okay to throw Jaws in there too, even though we did talk about it. It's kind of oh. quintessential summer viewing. It's like the summer horror movie for sure. It 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 just never stops being amazing. Like it's uh, you know every scene's gonna be like, and you're like, this is just such a great movie. I think it's like there's no such thing as a perfect movie, but that's a perfect movie. <laughs> like oh. it, it really is. Well, I, I don't know. It depends if you ask Jans or not. <laughs> yeah. Because he's in love with that movie. Oh yeah, no, that's why I said I, it's a perfect movie. I mean, I'm there's no flaws. I, I can't find one. Yeah, I'm glad that uh, the shark, the mechanics of the shark, actually didn't work because it, it's so much better. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, I love it, dude. I I could watch it. I have it on uh, 4K, and I could watch it any day. I could just pop it on. Nice. Even so, Jaws three. <laughs> nice. <laughs> 
Is there anything else that you want to talk about as far as Malignant Summer goes? Uh, I don't know. Just buy it. <laughs> <laughs> the big, big bastard of a book. But the one thing that I want to just mention out there is I assume no one can... Knowing how his mind works, I assume this was on purpose, that he's doing blockbuster summer hits. Last year, the first summer year was for Silver Shamrock was uh, Devil's Creek, and what a what a way to go. Like, that thing was fucking great. Great novel, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I think your book's a good follow-up. It's it's fun. It's scary. Yeah. It's creepy. I mean, I I kind of like the... Uh, I, it's kind of a lost thing, the the big novel, you know? We don't see, especially in the small presses, like, we don't see novels that are over, like, 100,000 words too often, you know? Um, things have kind of... I, I think as people's attention spans grow shorter and shorter, like, novellas and short novels are the way to go. And I've always liked, you know, writing novellas and, and short novels. In fact, like, 90% of the stuff I, I write are shorter um, but, oh man, there was like, when growing up, there's nothing, there was nothing better than buying like the new Stephen King book that was like this thick and just cracking that bad boy open and just like spending the entire afternoon just engulfed in that, in that book. And, uh, I don't know. I kind of think that we should, we should bring back like big novels. I I know it, it raises, uh, issues with like pricing and printing because they're, you know, they're more expensive, and, uh, you know, business-wise, it's probably not the best. Uh, but, I mean, I think if you, you do what they did with, you know, Devil's Creek, that, that had, like, the way they marketed that book was phenomenal. Yeah. And they really got it out there to everyone. And, you know, people were really into it. And then, you know, when there's a lot of buzz about a book, the size doesn't really matter. A good book is a good book. So, um Hoping that happens with Malay in the summer, but I guess we'll we'll see in the in the coming weeks and, and months. But yeah, I would love to bring back the the big novel, big horror novel. I think that's a it's a thing that should should come back. Well, that goes very well with Ronald Kelly's first of two questions. He said, "I've noticed that you are gravitating towards larger works of fiction rather than writing short novels and novella length books, like the majority of indie writers are doing today." I think you two talk to each other. Is this something that you do subconsciously? A few more questions. Or do you prefer to explore the older methods of writing, like expanding on character and plot development? And last, are you a fan of paperbacks from hell and the doorstopper novels of the 1980s and 90s? Uh, those are a lot of questions. And I, I'll repeat them. I'll repeat them if you want. Um... So I believe the first one was, do I gravitate towards the the bigger novel now? Is that correct? Uh, he he asked if uh, is this something that you do subconsciously to write the larger tomes opposed to the shorter books? Yeah, I mean my preference honestly is to is to go shorter. Um, like like I said, ninety percent of the stuff that I've written is like fifty thousand words around that that range. Um, a few things I've written have gone like 90 to 100. Uh, this was really, uh, I shouldn't say that because the first novel I ever wrote was like 170. Um, but this is, you know, since then has been the, the biggest thing I've ever written. So um, I don't, like I said, I don't plan out 
what I'm going to write before I write it. Like, I don't set word counts or anything. I can have an idea, like, this is going to be a, a novella, and then it, it snowballs into to a bigger thing. But I don't um, intentionally uh, go there, so. Okay. Yeah, and then he followed that up, and he kind of just answered that. Or do you prefer to explore the older methods of writing, uh, expanding characters and plot development? Um, do you have anything to answer to that, or do you want me to go to the last question? Uh, I mean, I, I will say that that character, I think, drives up word count. So, like, I feel like the more characters you have in a book will obviously, you know, drive up that word count. So, I mean, in, in some of my shorter works, like The Switch House, where it has, like, you know, basically we follow around one character that was, you know, 40,000 words. If I had followed around several other characters, then it could have easily been a 100,000-word novel. Yeah. Um, but I mean, in in Malignant Summer, we have like twenty different POVs, and it's like it, there's just it's so big, and uh, so character definitely expands your plot. The more characters you have, and the more POVs you have, is going to just drive up that word count naturally. So yeah, yep. And then the last question was: Are you a fan of paperbacks from hell and the door topper novels of the eighties and nineties? Oh yeah, I mean, I I love paperbacks from hell. The the Grady Hendrix book. Um, I it's on like a very nice uh, stand up there on my shelf, um, and I have a pretty good collection of of old school paperbacks. So um, yeah, I I love it. Uh, I mean, when I really got into reading horror fiction, again, because you know I I grew up in the 90s and you know the late 90s and i really got into them kind of like early 2000s so for me it was leisure uh the leisure novels so those are kind of um those were my go-to and those were kind of shorter those were about like 90,000 words a lot of those yeah Uh, didn't see too many that were like thick books but like I said, I love a I love a thick book. There was nothing mm-hmm. better than cracking open an old King novel. <laughs> and the last question, which is a uh, comment followed by question, I've got to read *Malignant Summer*. I don't know if you liked it or not. He doesn't say, but he falls. <laughs> Probably hated it. I'm gonna assume he didn't like it so ron that's what you meant obviously right okay will he be at scares that care i would like to know that too oh man i would love to be at scares that care um i've gone the past like four years uh and it's an amazing time this year unfortunately i'm gonna have to pass just because of like family obligations but i really want to go i was like even trying to make it work so i could just maybe go down that saturday uh, and just like spend the day, but I don't think it's going to happen. So unfortunately, not going to make it this year. But next year, I'm making it happen for sure. <laughs> and you know what? Self promotion, real quick, because that goes along with this. Uh, Ken McKinley gave me the okay that I will have a spot at the table promoting this show along with the uh, Silver Shower Car Cast. And he also gave me the okay to uh, push the anthology that came out today. Not the date of the airing of this episode, but the date of the recording of this episode. Uh, Matt Wilderson's Dark War, uh, Dark Words, I Can't Speak. And it focuses on folklore and urban legends. And it's a forward or an introduction by Brian Keene. Um, so it's, you know, if you're into that, 
I'll be selling them there. Um, Matt's not going to be there. I was pretty bummed about that, too. Uh, I don't think Keen's going either. I don't know. I think he said he wasn't. But, yeah, I got no idea. So, yeah, look for me with Ken and Todd Keeslin at the Silver Shamrock table with my little cute son. Um, that's about it. Don't feed him. <laughs> <laughs> Brennan, what do you got, bud? What does he turn into if you feed him? Yeah, well, he's a, he is a, like a mogwai. <laughs> so. Tim, let's talk about uh, you, you just announced the other day uh, getting hooked up with uh, the Rights Factory. Yeah. Um, that was kind of a crazy thing that happened. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I, I reached out to them cause Carmen had, uh, Carmen Wells had an open, uh, you know, she was open to, to clients. So I sent her, you know, a query and a pitch and, uh, she was into it. So we, uh, we signed a deal. And so now she's, um, my agent for film and TV. So I'm super excited about that. And, um, still kind of new and learning how that whole stuff works. So I don't know exactly how everything goes down, but, um, you know, from, you know, what I understand, it's just, we're going to be pitching some of, uh, my IPs that are, um, you know, already published and stuff and try to get them adapted for film. So who knows if anything will come with it, but I'm really, really excited to be working with her in the rights factory and, and maybe trying to get some, some stuff adapted for film. Yeah, good for you and congratulations. Oh, now, thanks, man. Obviously, it's new, and so even if you you've started discussions, there's not really going to be anything you can share. So let's go totally hypothetical on this one. If you could choose something that you've done uh, to be adapted for TV or film, what would you pick, and and how would you want to see it adapted? That is a good question. So uh, I mentioned earlier that like I was really into screenwriting when um, in high school. So uh, that was like my first love with actually writing stories. I mean, I, I know I experimented with short stories and novels prior, but like I really got into screenwriting and uh, I kind of let it go when I started, you know, becoming more serious about prose. Uh, so over the pandemic, like really early on, I was like, you know what? I want to kind of get back into screenwriting a little bit and kind of just experiment. And, uh, I mean, I have all these stories to, to adapt. So why not try my hand at something? And so I, I picked the switch house to kind of just take that story and, and put it into a screenplay. And, um, I did like, I, I wrote it in a few months and, uh, did multiple drafts and, and tried to work it out. And it was fun. It was a good break from writing prose. And I highly recommend it too. If, if you're, you're ever looking to kind of just take a break, give your brain a break from writing prose and, and just maybe do something different. Writing a screenplay is completely different. Um, it's a completely different medium and it's a just writing wise. It's your brain is in a completely different mode. So it's really a good exercise. Uh, but yeah, I did that. I adapted it and uh, I was kind of proud of it. So, but I, I didn't know what to do with it. Like there was <laughs> like, what am I going to do? I can't, I don't have money to go make a movie. Um, so I, uh, I found some competitions and screenwriting competitions to, you know, enter the screenplay in. And, uh, I'd actually won two awards in, in some screenplay competitions, some pretty decent ones too. So, um, yeah, I would, uh, I would love to see that screenplay come to life. Cause I think that would be kind of a fun movie. 
And it would tra- traumatize a lot of people for sure. So you should do one about limbs that that novella that you wrote because that's yeah. a, that's a fucking ride. You know what? I that, would, <laughs> that is like my second choice probably because good. It's not even really a. I don't even really consider it much of a horror novel. It's more like a, a comedy. Like it's uh It's just like a dark, weird comedy. So, but yeah, I I would I would love to see that too. That would be. Tell us what fun. Limbs is about. So Limbs is about a a, a guy who suffers from um, not I shouldn't say suffers, but he has a a condition called acrotomophilia, which is a sexual attraction to uh, amputees. And so, but he borderlines on uh, obsesses about it. So it gets to a point where he can't, you know, have sex with anyone who isn't an amputee. But then he falls in love with someone who is able-bodied. And then he kind of travels down this dark path uh, of whether or not he should somehow make her an amputee to fit his desires. And it's just kind of wild and, and crazy, and uh, it's also kind of funny. So, <laughs> sounds like a rom com. It is like a rom com. It's like a horror rom com, if there ever was one. Brandon, why don't you read the question from the uh, from an admirer the, of the Tim. reader? The reader question. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have, we haven't talked about beer in a while, and last time it was accidentally <laughs> positive. So, all right. Uh, this reader would like to know how you're able to create such wonderfully horrific stories when you have such a terrible taste in selecting your beer. <laughs> Is it easier to be sadistic with your characters when you have such a blatant disregard for your taste buds? I feel like that's a Ken McKinley question. Like, I don't, I don't know. The readers just left their name as McKinley. So oh, I knew it. <laughs> oh, I'm not even going to answer that question. Yeah, fuck you, Ken. <laughs> um, yeah, no. Listen, IPAs are delicious, and I will not apologize for enjoying them. So it does. It, do, it sounds like a question from somebody who has a garage full of five packs of IPAs. Yeah, he's always like, "I bought all these IPAs. I'm never gonna drink them." Like, why'd you? Why'd you do that? Like, I feel, I feel like he's trying to like seduce me or something, trying to like get me to go over to his, his basement. It's kind of weird. But I'm also, he has a lot of IPA, so I'm also kind of into it. You should write a story about that. <laughs> it's definitely a conundrum. I don't know where to take us away from there, man. <laughs> I'm, my brain's just thinking about Ken luring him into the fucking garage. Well, to... he knows my weakness, and he buys a whole, like, it sounds weird, right? Like, he knows my weakness is IPAs. He knows I love them. He buys a whole garage full of IPAs that he doesn't drink, that he's very adamant about that he doesn't drink. So I think it's just a little weird. But I, again, I'm also into it. I will fly to your house and I will drink all your IPAs. All right. Open invitation. Nice. <laughs> so, uh, Tim, tell us a little bit about up- upcoming projects. What do you have in the works? Um, I have like three novels that are finished um probably could use you know another pass or two on them um and uh one that's being like sent out shopping it around um yeah nothing that i can really really confirm i don't i don't really have anything oh i have the uh the the thing that ken wanted me to announce on this show like the exclusive i've been waiting for that yeah i 
totally blanked on that. Serves him right for trying to seduce me with IPAs. <laughs> um, so I uh, I got an acceptance to Midnight Beyond the Stars today. Oh shit! Yeah. Excellent. So my Congrats, uh, man. Thanks, man. My uh, my short story, Varescent Skies, will make an appearance. And uh, I'm pretty excited about it because it's a little bit different. I'm actually kind of surprised that he accepted it because it's it's way different than like your your normal alien story. But maybe I think that's why he also did accept it because it was kind of different from the norm. So I'm excited about it. I'd ask what it's about, but it's a short story, so let's not ruin it. <laughs> yeah, I want it to be like a complete surprise to people. But it's called Varescent Skies. So why'd you pick that title? Um, you have to read the story to find out, man. I don't want to. Oh, I went there. What a terrible question. So, (laughs) so far, the people that are announced in it is Gabino Iglesias, Samantha Koyesnik, James Newman is on top of my head. I can't remember them all. I'll go back now. Tim Meyer, uh, Ronald Kelly, um, Lee Murray, Quinn. Oh, yeah. Yep. It's going to be uh, an awesome collection. I mean, the, the first two were amazing like the lineups are, are crazy yeah. for the for the people they got um well i mean he started with robert mccammon <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> amazing so i'm uh, i'm super proud to be in all three of them um and just honored that he he likes my stories enough to to continue to put me in his stellar lineups yeah man i think that for me i mean i felt this before me and I didn't even talk to Ken that that's like the anthology of the year. It's like uh, a Borderlands, I guess, yeah. would be a good example. Like, dude, it is. It's like the he has like twelve hundred submissions for <sighs> for the for each anthology. Man, I mean, it's uh, it's a good freaking. It's wild. Mm. It's yeah. wild, and the thing is, is, like, he reads them all himself. Like, he's he crazy. Have, he doesn't have any like. Uh, like anybody helping him he reads them all and like he doesn't he doesn't like uh read a couple paragraphs or and bail on him he reads whole stories so it's like he that's so much work i don't know yeah. how he like does anything else to be honest uh, with you i don't either and we just recorded uh episode four of i'm burying the dead yesterday also on the silver shamrock car cast where we zoom classic hard paperbacks for the new generation which i said in the beginning but i'm reminding you and this one we talked about Charlie jackson's uh, probably most famous piece of work, which was the Haunting of Hill House. So that's exciting. I don't know how he does it either because we talked about that after we were done recording. He's like, oh, I only got like a million manuscripts to read because he also reads all the novels. And uh, He must not sleep at all. Like, I don't think he does. And he runs a full-time yeah. you know, company. So It's insane. He's insane. He's an insane person. And he has bad, and he has a bad taste in beer, so I don't know how he he gets on in life. But hey, that's his business. When have you met him in person yet, Ken? Me? Have met, yeah, have you met Ken? Oh no, I haven't. I'm sorry, I uh, I have not met him in person. Um, and I actually face to face digitally met him for the first time like a couple of weeks ago, actually. So um, when I he interviewed me for his Silver Shamrock. Uh, podcast as well so it was the first time we got to to hang out face to face and it was cool man he's a great guy oh yeah i got only good things to say about him um except he has bad taste in beer i'll reiterate 
that he has shitty taste in beer. <laughs> He's going to kill me when this is over. It's awesome. Brennan, Brennan, what do you got to say, man? You know, the only things I was going to add there is, uh, you know, one of, one of the reasons I feel like those anthologies have become kind of the place where, you know, everybody and their mom ends up subbing to is you just you never stop hearing about them because it's, you know, one comes out and within a month, the call goes out for the next one or at least the announcement for the call couple months later it opens and it's open for like six months because he's a glutton for punishment uh and then you know even when when the call closes it's all you know it's there's an announcement like every week you know leading up to pretty much the uh the review copies going out it's just that the they never go away um so like ever since midnight yeah ever since midnight in the graveyard like uh, started announcing people on it. Like we've been talking about these damn midnight anthologies um, for like three years straight now. Um, and I'm really excited for the beyond the stars when I feel like, you know, I, I, I loved the first two obviously, but this one I feel like has the opportunity to have a lot more variation in the stories than even the possession and the, uh, and you know, the, the graveyard setting. So I, th- I think it's going to be a really unique one yeah i'm excited as a as a fan of these anthologies um just to read all these stories and all these different creative takes on alien horror because alien horror is like the best like right it's there's so many good uh alien horror stories and movies out there also some really bad ones but (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah i'm excited to read it I'm nervous as hell to get hear his feedback because last one I submitted, he he asked me if I ate paint chips as a child. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to give us the synopsis on the last one you sent in? Oh yeah, the last one because I, I focus oh, on the. Yeah, fuck it. I don't <laughs> care. Uh, the last one I focused on the whole like EC Comics aspect of it. Uh, so it was called Evil. This idea was from my buddy Mark Estelle. Because I was like, I had ideas for exorcism stories, but I'm like, I just, I got neat scenes. I don't have a good story, and I'm trying to write them, and it's just not happening. He's like, you should write a story about a possessed piece of shit, a literal piece of shit. Oh, my God. So I wrote that where this girl looks in the toilet, it explodes, it gets in her, and then it starts talking to her. So it's very silly and over the top, and... Ken said it's well written, but he's like, this is just, it does not fit the theme. I'm like, okay. Like Mr. Hanky. Yeah, I made I made that comment in the manuscript, and some one of my beta readers were like, yeah, you should probably take that out. <laughs> legality things. I'm like, I don't know anything about that, so sure. <laughs> yeah, probably a good idea. Probably. It's very weird, but... And, and ever since that, and since me and... Brennan and him became close. It's just like they, him and Brennan will often bring up, oh, he's writing another poo story when that's <laughs> the only time I've written it. You branded yourself. So, I, yeah. Well, now You're I the have. poo guy now. You're the poo guy now. So you <laughs> and I, that. I work at a shit plant, so I guess I'll take it. <laughs> there you go. It comes for full circle. Let's jump to upcoming projects, unless you got something else, Brennan. We already did that. Yeah, yeah. we already Sorry, it's a question. It's it's like a very unprofessional. Very, <laughs> very that, 
That's the fourth strike against you tonight, sir. And I think you owe me like six beers. Take, take me out, man, and I'll buy. I don't, I don't know how that math works, but it, it works in my favor, so I'm going with it. <laughs> Every beer I buy for you, buy one for myself. <laughs> there you go. What are you currently reading? Uh, what am I currently reading? Uh, I'm reading two novels. I'm reading uh, this one, actually, right here. Tomb of the Gods by Brian Moreland. Um, I'm like 80 pages into it. Excellent. Uh, and then on my Kindle, I'm reading uh, Ross Jeffrey's um, Tomb. Tomb, yeah. Oh, hey, Brian just got announced a couple days ago that he's also a Midnight Beyond the Stars. Whoa, perfect. Right? He's... Brennan? I don't, I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's All right, right. Uh, I thought he was. I was like, wait, Tim, Tim's reaction's making me second-guess my comment. I didn't see that. I don't really pay attention to everything that happens on social media, so I'm kind of a little bit behind on things it's for sometimes. the best. Yeah. <laughs> it's like sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll be scrolling and I just see someone, like, either make a indirect comment or, like, a, a comment about some drama or some what's new, and I'm just like, <laughs> glad I'm not part of this. Yeah. Nope. Close application. Brennan, what are you reading? Uh, I am reading that Dark Words anthology that you uh, mentioned a little bit ago. I got a few stories into that one. So far, so good. Very impressive. Um, Sam, I was going to mention that that um, Brian Moreland book. That's I love that one. It's like extra supernatural Indiana Jones. Like it's the, the action and you know great. spookiness vibe is just off the charts. He knocked out of the park with that one. I it's like, I'm stick, like 80 pages in. So it's like building up and like the buildup is so good. It's like, I just, I want to get there. And I, I, I've read Brian stuff before, like his, uh, the novels that he put out with Sam Hain were, were incredible. And he does like historical horror, like so good. Um, and like, I can't wait till it gets to like the, the crazy shit. Cause I know it's coming. I know it's coming. And it, and it, there's no, there's no dead spots in there. It's, you know, you, you, you get that nice build up at the beginning, but it's, you know, once it hits, it's, it sustains, uh, I, that's actually the only thing, uh, well, the only long form thing I've read by him, but I, I definitely want to read more. Yeah. I mean, definitely, uh, he has a novel called shadows in the mist. I believe it's called, um, that book rules and um i've I read uh i think i read a novella by him i think it's called darkness rising not 100 percent certain that's the title but mm. if you can find it and track it down it any anything he's written is is good salvage but, also, season. i was gonna I mean, say not salvage season that's joe or lansdale right savage island i think savage island <laughs> okay <Yeah. laughs> i guess i was close yeah <laughs> That's his uh, upcoming book with um, with Silver Shamrock. Silver (laughs) Shamrock, because because we haven't fucking talked about them enough tonight. Wow. (laughs) Speaking of upcoming Silver Shamrock books, don't you uh, have a little something something coming out? Oh, July twentieth. Dude, that's awesome, man! I'm happy for you. Congrats. I am very excited. I uh, just I I just got the second of uh, hopefully a few more blurbs uh, this morning, and it's. I'm really excited to share it. I got two authors so far that I just think the absolute fucking world of um, who read it and had some very nice things to say. So That's awesome. I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm I'm nervous as hell, but I'm looking forward to it at the same time. Oh, dude, congrats. I'm so happy for you. 
So I am reading The Queen of the Cicadas by V. Castro, and uh, I'm listening to the audiobook of Children of Chicago. I was reading that, but then um, I stopped and restarted the book over when the audiobook came out, and um, I'm almost done with that. And I don't know, Cena and V. Castro are fucking awesome. Yeah, they're great writers. I actually read uh, Children of Chicago last month, and it was What did you think? I liked it. I thought it was great. And she's coming out with a sequel next year. Oof. I will buy that. Yeah, man. Cena's awesome. Hey, you know what? <laughs> We've been doing a lot of plugs today, but fuck it. Uh, for, speaking of Cena Palayo, she will be the first guest that we have on for this thing that we're doing called Deadhead Space Spotlights, where we talk with authors in essentially a mini-episode. The only difference is... It's focusing on uh, a reading. It's about you know a couple minutes to five minutes of a reading of their book. It's probably going to be something new or that recently came out. And then we just kind of break down basic information, where people can follow you, a little bit about the story. And it might go on a tangent. We don't know. Um, but they're going to last up to probably half an hour. But we're not going to push it any further than that because they're they got to stay as many episodes it's our way to get more authors spotlighted because we want more, but it's this ain't our full-time job, so it ain't possible. So that's how that's our solution. Um, that is going to be recorded before this airs. So that's probably going to be coming out pretty close after your episodes aired, Tim. And then after Cena will be uh, Mark. Did I get the order wrong? It would be a uh, SA hunt followed by Mark Gunnels, and then probably the fourth one's going to be Gabino. Um, I don't know what he's going to do for that, but I'm excited. It's an all-star lineup right there. Yeah. Uh, that Now let's, let's go. <laughs> Sorry, I got... <laughs> I thought it was another question for you, Ron. Kelly just sent something. It has nothing to do with this, so I'm going to move on. Uh, one last plug is if you want merchandise of the logo, that's what we got right now uh, of my mug on a coffee mug or any face mask, go to deadheadspace.com, click the store tab, and peruse the digital store. And they will actually be at Scares at Care. I will have a little section at the Silver Shamrock table. Um, as I said earlier, we'll have some of those products. So. If you're into that, check it out. Um, let's jump to where can people follow you, Tim? Uh, I am most present on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me. It's at TimMeyer11. Um, I also have a website, TimMeyerWrites.com, that I update not as frequently as I should. Um, but, yeah, you can find, like, important stuff there. Uh, and then you can also buy like signed books directly from me through the website. Uh, other than that, um, also on Instagram, I don't really use Facebook much at all anymore, so don't even really bother finding me there. Um, <laughs> and uh, and that's pretty much it. If not, I'll probably be. You can also find me in lurking in some brewery somewhere in in on the Jersey Shore. Is there a book from your back catalog that you wish had more attention? Uh, I mean, you mentioned limbs before. That's just like such a such a cool like personal story to me. There's like a lot of like weird, even though it's it's not like like anything that happens in that isn't 
directly something that I've done, obviously. But uh, like, there's just, like, it's not an autobiography. Let's put it that way. But like, there's like <laughs> a lot of like fun, um, like personal stuff in there. And I don't know. It like I feel like that should have more eyes on it. I think. I feel like it should get more attention than than some of my other stuff. But um, it's a different book than what I've written. So, like, it doesn't surprise me that it doesn't sell as much as some of my other stuff. But, uh, yeah, I'd say that for sure. Um, I think I'll just go with that. Perfect. Brennan, you got any final thoughts? Uh, not not so much i i want to thank tim for coming on i i hope that anybody who listened to this who has not already pre-ordered or bought because it's coming out uh this this episode's coming out after june 1st uh i hope they'll pick up malignant summer bring back that you know big summer uh blockbuster release doorstopper um and enjoy the absolute hell out of it tim any final thoughts uh no i have nothing i'm i'm good um Th- final... thanks for having me guys i, I oh, really yeah. enjoyed this yeah, absolutely yeah my final thoughts were actually piggybacking on that uh so tim was one of the first authors i spoke to before i even recorded my first episode i was just talking to him because i was i got big into uh armand rosamelia and chuck buddha's show and I, I found some of my people in jersey you're one of them frank uh, J.C. Walsh, even though he's in Philly, and we'll just say he's in Jersey. Doesn't matter. He's he's a New Englander, so he you know <laughs> he's not even in the right place right here, right there. Um, but yeah, it, it's awesome that we finally get to talk to you, especially after we both read that great book, *Malignant Summer*. So thank you for being here. We appreciate it, man. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And you're always welcome back. And I actually want to do a live recording with you in the future since we are so close. So we should make that happen. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Except Brennan probably won't. We'll be remote for that. (laughs) I don't go to New Jersey. (laughs) I don't blame you, sir. Oh, come on. I like South Jersey, man. It's it's beautiful here. I like it. But, you know, like every area, it's got its pros and cons. New Jersey's just crazy sometimes. I mean, we're the only state where, you know, you can't pump your own gas. Like, what is that? Like, what is that? Seriously, well, why can't I pump my own gas? Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah, you can't pump your own gas. You can't make a left turn anywhere. You got to do a jug handle. Well, what we call a jug handle. I don't know what you call. Uh, I don't by you. I don't know what you call. Them. We call them jug handles, where you got to like do a loopy. Excuse the shit out of me. The, the yeah, Pat. Me. What the hell do we call it up here? I have no idea what he means. Um, so we don't have that up there. Basically, if you're going straight, oh. you can't, you can't, if you're on a main road or whatever, and you have to take a left, it's yep. not a U-turn, but it's like a it's a half loop where it sets you in the right direction of taking that left turn. They call them jug handles because it's like the curved shape of a jug handle. It's like a oh. C. Hmm. That's that's stupid. You should just you should just take a left and you damn the man. A... There's a there's a you lot of jug handles. You'll get arrested. <laughs> well, there's some people that have tried it, and I've seen them almost get their rare, you know, bumpers smashed into. It's wild. Yeah, New Jersey's wild, everyone. If you haven't been here, especially I, with Wildwood, <laughs> just 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 stay away. You're better off. Don't come to New Jersey. All right, uh, listeners, if you are curious, what episode is next? I'll be episode 94. That comes out this Monday, three days from now, I think. 
uh, let's see, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, four days from now. Uh, that episode will be called Find the Torch, Burn the Plans. It's self-titled by, or titled by Tyler Jones. He's the one that came up with this idea. Brendan is taking the guest spot with uh, Tyler, Mercedes M. Yardley, Cena Palayo, and Rhonda J. Garcia. I am the solo host for that, where we talk about parents that are uh, creatives, have a creative outlet, that have uh, children with varying disabilities, and how they cope with that with art in one form or another, as opposed to insert any vice or what have you. So that will be exciting. Um, I'm probably going to not talk most of the time because I am out of my league with this one, but we'll see. (laughs) We'll see what happens. So listeners, as always, thank you for joining us. You have many choices in podcasts. We appreciate you picking us. Deadhead space.